We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Notre Dame defense. Ohio Irish fan has a couple of different questions. He says, with all the hype around defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman, do you expect to see the same or maybe even better production numbers out of the 2021 Irish defense? Um, I don't I don't honestly don't know. It's still a little bit too early. I think this defense has a chance to be as good, if not better, than the 2021 def- the 2020 defense, if we're being honest. I mean, the 2020 defense, as good as it was in a lot of ways, took a step back from a points-per-game number. They gave up more points than the defense gave up in 2019 and 2018. Um, the pass defense certainly took a step back. I, I think the term – I think it, it's not no, more so uh, so much Marcus Freeman as much as can they get the cornerback position figured out. That's going to be the big question. Can they get that, and can they get that other safety position figured out? I, I have some personnel question marks about this defense that heard it in 2020. Can they get better play out of the buck linebacker? Can they get play out of the second safety position? Can they find a, a legitimate nickel? Uh, will the corner opposite, you know, the boundary guy play better? Well, Nick McLeod's gone, so now you don't even have the boundary guy. So I, I think there's some personnel questions that have to get answered, but I, I feel good that Marcus Freeman will be able to, to push the right buttons to get this group to be good. And the part of that is some of the young guys that I really like are now – older and I think prepared in positions to really take over. You've got Isaiah Foskey is going to be a junior now. We'll talk more about him here in a little bit. Um, actually, let's just kind of talk about that now. Uh, Ohio Irish fans' second question is, do you see Isaiah Foskey as a breakout player, potential star in this season's defense? And so, yeah, I do. And and so that's a position where as much as I love Adi Takumba Ogundiji and Dalen Hayes, neither of them has necessarily the God-given ability that Isaiah Foskey has. Can he take that next step? If he does, 
then, you know, he can bring a pass rushing element that Notre Dame hasn't had since Julian Aguara back in 2018. Um, you, you've got, you know, you've got some young guy, Jason Adamiola. I think it's his turn to really step up and, and play better. Um, you know, Houston Griffith is going to get his chance. Is, is he going to be able to merge? Kyle Hamilton is going to be a junior now. You know, his game is going to take a, another step forward. Some of these young linebackers that really were in the rotation for the first time, you know, Maris Luafau, Jack Kaiser, even Shane Simon. Well, now they're going to be going to kind of year two in the system. So, uh, not system, but, you know, in the rotation. So how will their games jump? And then will those jumps be able to help minimize the losses that they had? So I think there's a chance that this defense can be better. I think the other thing is I don't know if they're necessarily going to play the same caliber of offenses they played this year. Notre Dame played four great offenses this year. When you consider even Clemson without Trevor Lawrence was still really good. With Trevor Lawrence, they were elite. North Carolina was a great offense, and Alabama was a great offense. Looking at 2021, North Carolina loses 2,000-yard running backs, and they're two top receivers. Uh, Sam Howell does come back. USC is going to be pretty good, but they lose Amon Ross St. Brown. They lose their best offensive lineman. They lose Tyler Vaughns. Still going to be very good, but you know, well, how good will they really be? I, I just don't see a lot of – there's no Clemson on next year's offensive schedule. So I, I think that'll help too, especially early on. There's no elite offenses that they're going to play early on. Um, you know, Purdue's going to lose – loses Rondell Moore. You know, they're schematically they're going to be good, but do they have the personnel to really challenge Notre Dame? We'll find out. So uh, I think that should help them with that adjustment period as well. Gormas R at which previously fringe players on defense do you think will benefit most from the new DC running the defense next season? I have a few guys in mind. I talked about Maris Lua Fallon, Jack Kaiser. I talked about Houston Griffith. Um, I want to hone in a little bit on Jason Adamiola a little bit. So my understanding is from some sources I've talked to is there's a good chance that Notre Dame is going to put Myron Tungavaloa Amosa as the strong side end. So he's going to be that power in player. They're going to move him outside and allow him to try to be an edge player. That is being done because they, number one, think he can play there. But number two, there's a lot of confidence from what I'm told in, in the next two guys, Jason Adamiel and Riley Mills, being able to handle that position. There's a lot of depth up the middle. And I think Jason Adamiel is a guy that, that should be able to thrive in this defense and being able to move around, around and same with Riley Mills. Those are, those are, I'd, I'd consider them fringe guys, you know, from a road. I mean, never really played more than 20, 25 snaps a game uh, that I see. And then another one is Cam Hart. I'm really interested to see what Cam Hart can do. Uh, he missing out on spring ball hurt him last year. We talked about that recently. He gets spring ball now. He gets, you know, year two with Mike Mickens. There's some roles in this defense that I could see for him, and there's now more flexibility with from a from a secondary standpoint for guys like him than there was before. He's a guy that I could see them finding a, a home for. Thomas Walsh asks, do you have any expectations or opinions on J Jacob Lacey's development with Myron and Heinrich coming back? Is he going to play much? Okay, so uh, just talked about Myron. Uh, being moving outside to end. So I do think that is going to open up some playing time. Uh, Jacob is a guy that could play both inside positions. And honestly, the only reason he didn't play more in 2020, and a lot of people that know that he had a, a shoulder that bothered him all year. And that's why he didn't play at times. Uh, he went through a bout with COVID, I believe, as well. His family, I know, went through that. 
it was just a rough year for Jacob health wise. When he's healthy, he's really good. And and I anticipate him being healthy in 2021. So I anticipate him being a bigger part of the rotation and not having him 100% limited them because there were times they were playing Howard Cross at nose tackle. And Howard Cross is a quick, penetrating guy. It's not a guy you really want at nose tackle. So I think having Jacob back will be very good for the defense. Again, when he's been healthy, he's been good. He's, he's strong. He can penetrate. He can anchor. Uh, and he was doing those things as a young player. He's going to now be a junior, and he's going to have an opportunity to to take that next step. And he's a guy that I have sort of on my watch list that, you know, he could, if he can stay healthy and tap into his talent and, and stay on the field more, he's a guy that could have a chance to be a, a pretty darn good football player for Notre Dame in 2021 and, and only solidify what's already a deep depth chart inside. Here's a question I love. Tommy Leonard, can we consider Mike Mickens, the current quarter, cornerbacks coach, as the DC in waiting as a member of the future staff of head coach Marcus Freeman? Okay. We're just going there already. I love it, Tommy. I love the question. Um, so number one, I don't like the idea of promoting coordinators to be head coaches at Notre Dame. I don't like the idea of guys being head coaches at Notre Dame that have never been head coaches before. I hate the idea of it, in fact. However, there are some things about Marcus Freeman that I really like that could make him potentially be an exception, right? I loved Clark Lee in a lot of ways. I don't know if Clark Lee was a guy that I would want to have made that transition with for if for no other reason than recruiting. He just was not a strong recruiter. Um, he's not a a guy that I necessarily felt would have been ready to make that kind of jump. I think he needs a Vanderbilt development as a head coach to before he's really ready for that kind of big job. Marcus Freeman's a little different, I think. He's just got a little bit more of a dynamic personality. Um, and and I don't even I mean it, his I think him and Clark Lee are going to remind Notre be very similar to Notre Dame fans. He's not a very you know, in your face, he's not like, he's not Brent Venables. Right. But I mean, dynamic is just, there's a, there's a confidence about him. Clark Lee kind of came across as like, they both kind of come across as sort of professorial, professorial, professor-like, not <laughs> prophecy. Uh, and I think that Clark Lee is sort of that, is that teacher that like is very thoughtful and he's always got to think about things. Marcus Freeman is a little bit more of that energetic teacher, you know, that one that's really a little bit more engaging, also high intellect. So I think that helps. I think that he's more of an extrovert where Clark Lee was more of an introvert, but I also think the recruiting piece is, is really the big one. And, and I like that about him. So he's a guy that's on my radar. Having said that, let's let him coach a game at Notre Dame before we start talking about him as the defense as the head coach and waiting. If Marcus Freeman is who I think he is, then I do think in a couple, two to three years, we could be talking about him as being that head coach and waiting. Notre Dame might have to do that to get him to stay because he's going to be a, a hot commodity in certain seasons. Along with that, I do believe it would make a lot of sense for Mike Mickens and Marcus Freeman to have the sort of relationship the next couple seasons where there is some grooming going on with Marcus Freeman and Mike Mickens, because obviously they already have an established relationship. They coach together at Cincinnati. They're from the same high school. Marcus Freeman's a little bit older than, than Mike Mickens, but not by much. So there's some carryover there. There's an established long-term relationship. 
I think Mike Mickens is really an up-and-coming coach. I love the job he did this year as a recruiter and as a coach, and the, the coaching piece is just as important, if not more important, than the recruiting piece. So I think that the, the, the similarity, the, the understanding of what Marcus want, or wants to do coaching-wise, schematically, philosophy, how to go about business every day, it would make a lot of sense for Mike to kind of be groomed to take over, whether it's Marcus going to become a head coach somewhere else or whether it's Marcus becoming the head coach at Notre Dame and then Mike sliding into that. So I absolutely would like to see that grooming happening, even if it's not because Marcus is going to be the head coach or coach Freeman is going to be the head coach at Notre Dame. But even if it's he's going to be a head coach somewhere else, he's going to not be the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame for more than two or three years, in my opinion. He's just going to be too hot of a commodity as a head coach. So I would like to see him groom Coach Mickens to be that next guy in line, sort of like what we saw with Mike Elko and Clark Lee. I think that kind of succession would be phenomenal for Notre Dame. And I think that from what I know of Coach Mickens early on, again, I need to learn a lot more about him, but from what I've seen from him early on, he's shown me nothing that would make me question whether he's capable of it. Now, again, we need to see him do it again for another year at Notre Dame, but I thought he had a great first year at Notre Dame, and I thought that he was able to get more of that than maybe he should have when you look at the overall talent level of it. So I could certainly see that. Would it shock me in three or four years if Marcus Freeman's the head coach at Notre Dame and Mike Mickens is the defensive coordinator? Not really. I just want to see, however, um, if, if let's just see Coach Freeman go through a season and let's see what he actually does at Notre Dame before we already start kind of heighten, anointing him as the, the next head coach at Notre Dame. All right, let's wrap some things up here at the Irish Breakdown Podcast with some recruiting questions. And like I said, most of these are focused on the 2021 class that just signed, so we're going to dive into these. Thomas Walsh asks, do you think Tyler Buckner will redshirt or they keep him eligible in case he's ready? I don't think there's any scenario in which Marcus in, t- in which Tyler Buckner should redshirt. None at all. If Tyler Buckner's the quarterback we think he is, he needs to play. Now, the counter argument is, well, he didn't play in 2019. Uh, or assume he didn't play in 2020 because of California. He only played one year high school football. Is he ready to be the guy? No, I don't think he's ready to be the guy. But I think there's a di- there's a, a a balance between handing him the keys to the kingdom before he's ready and grooming him to to take over. And, and I don't think redshirting him does any good. I think you know let him be in the room whether he's the second or third quarterback on the depth chart. Let him be in the room. Let him go through all the game plan ma- meetings. Let him get all the coaching. Let him get all the experience. And then find ways throughout the season to work him into the into the games. There should be there's look there's five or six opponents on the schedule that you can absolutely work your backup quarterback in in the first half, and they should do that. And it's not about Jack Cohn. Clemson did that this year with Trevor Lawrence. No one was thinking that DJ was going to take Trevor Lawrence's job, right? But Clemson said, "Hey, we're playing the Citadel, we're playing Wake Forest. These are opportunities for us to get our young quarterback on the field early." And then if it's the third quarter and you're up thirty-one to seven. Get him in the game. We saw Alabama do that this year in the first in the opener against Missouri. They start pulled their quarterback in the, in the third quarter and put in Bryce Young to let him get some reps because they were they were winning convincingly. So I think they certainly need to do that. Redshirting him to me, unless he's injured, is just should not be an option for Notre Dame this season. Billy Fitzgerald asks, which incoming freshman do you think will be most impactful next season? Well, the nice thing about where Notre Dame is right now as a football program is there's no position where a freshman has to play next year. I, I, not one. I don't think there's any place where you can say, boy, 
this guy's going to have to play. Like 2017, it didn't matter if Kurt Heinisch and Myron Tungvaloa are ready to play or not. They needed to play. They, they just they had to play. There just weren't the peop, the players there. Um, running back this year, Chris Tyree had to play. And that's the reason I think he played as much as he did because they had to play him. Michael Mayer was uh, uh, one of the guys that earned it. You know, he didn't have to play. There's plenty of bodies. So, I mean, we've seen freshmen play, but a lot of times, you know, it's just they had to play him. This year, if a guy's going to play, it's because he's going to earn it. You know, Gabriel Rubio flat out is physically ready to play as a freshman. Will he play? I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's he's going to there's a lot of good players there. Uh, he's a guy capable of it. He's a guy that I'd keep my eye on. And if guys get because there's been some injury problems up the middle with some of those guys. We talked about Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey and Jason Adamuola has had some injury in, in issues in the past. So, you know, if, if I'm one of those guys ahead of Gabriel Rubio, I am not wanting to miss a single practice. I am not wanting to give that guy. I'm not wanting to give Aiden Kiana Anna or Riley Mills an opportunity to get extra reps because I may not get that spot back. So he's a guy that I keep an eye on. You know, Prince Colley's a guy, especially if the rover position, I could see him maybe, you know, making an early run for playing time. I think the receivers, Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey are guys that will have a chance uh, to, to, to play if they make the changes on offense. I think one of the freshman running backs could, could, could slide into that, especially if there's an injury. I think both of them are capable of playing as a freshman. But the one position where I think we'll definitely see some freshmen playing this year is in the secondary. Um, Philip Riley and Ryan Barnes are the two guys that I that I kind of have my eye on the most. Uh, I think they could be two guys that that not only compete for playing time, but maybe compete for starting minutes this season. I think they're two talented players, and the fact that they're both early enrollees only helps them with that. So, uh, and, and Thomas Walsh also asks if there's any freshman receivers to get a shot to play. Uh, we'll we'll see. I don't I don't know if they will or won't, but I think that Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles both should be playing some as a freshman. They're not five year players, so they should not redshirt. They should be worked into the rotation some way somehow. I'd love to see Lorenzo Styles get a chance to return punts, for example. But you know, Deion Colsey brings some size that you really don't have anywhere else on the roster because Micah Jones won't be next year. And you don't really have that 6'4 guy anymore that can be that one-on-one -on -one guy, that red zone weapon. That's a great way to kind of work him in the rotation, let him get 10, 15 snaps a game that way. I think that would make a lot of sense. Now, will they do that? I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith that they will. They didn't do that for Jordan Johnson or Xavier Watts. Uh, and I graded both of those guys out higher than Styles and Colsey, but they should. So to your question, will they get a shot? I don't know. Should they get a shot? Absolutely. Ohio Irish fan asks, is there an offensive player from the 2021 class already enrolled, i.e. Lorenzo Styles, that you could see breaking through the Kelly barrier and getting significant playing time in 2021? Just kind of talked about that. Um, could could they? Could they? Sure. I mean, I also think, too, is there's a there's a lot of injury history at receiver. Braden Lindsey, Orange Keys, Kevin Austin have all struggled to stay healthy. When you look at the numbers now, if those guys get hurt again, then, then we're definitely going to see those young guys get a chance to play, I believe. At least they should. Uh, and then he also asks, is Blake Fisher the type of talent that could potentially get some playing time as a freshman, or is the staff going to keep him focused on nutrition and conditioning during the 2021 season? Um, I think both. I think, obviously, you you want to make sure that he's staying on top of nutrition and conditioning. Guys with his body type, you always have to worry about that. But, I mean, I thought Blake did a great job with that as a senior in high school at home. I mean, not at Notre Dame. So, uh, I expect – I think he's a hungry kid. I don't think Blake is coming to Notre Dame thinking, oh, I'm going to sit a couple years and wait my turn. I think he wants to play. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right now, and, and if he puts in the work and has the right attitude, which I think he will have, um, you know, I could see him competing to play as a freshman. And I think that the fact that there's four open spots and there's not a lot of proven players ahead of him could result in that. And look, we've only seen two true freshmen play significant minutes. Ronnie Stanley played like two games, then redshirted uh, with an elbow injury. Steve Elmer and Robert Hainsey, the only true freshman we've seen play, both of them were early enrollees. Blake will be an early enrollee. So I think Blake Fish and Rocco Spindler both have a chance. They're coming at Notre Dame at the perfect time. They're both going to have a chance to step in and, and compete as freshmen. There's no question about it. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. A couple questions about the uh, press conference, the signing day press conference. Uh, Aaron Vincent asks, um, were you surprised about the level of awareness Kelly and his staff had regarding Kelly's recruiting efforts, particularly how defensive Kelly was and how his staff went out of their way to defend him? Um, And then two, what, if any changes, will we see? If Kelly is this concerned, I would imagine we hear more excuses going forward to excuse, explain his recruiting efforts, or maybe we see an increased effort on his part. What do you think? I think if they were going to change, there's no way that press conference happens the way that it did on Tuesday. That was a, you know, kudos to Brian Polian and Mike Elson and and Tommy Reese for defending their head coach the way that they did. But um, it's kind of embarrassing if you want me to be honest about it. The fact that in year 11 they have to justify why the head coaches are more involved in recruiting and and spin it the way that they're spinning it uh you know he get he does anything we ask him to do well that isn't a is that was their attempt at defending him but in fact it was an indictment they should never have to ask him to do that look i know this for a fact okay this isn't a guess this is a fact urban meyer doesn't have to be asked to get involved with recruits uh dabo swinney doesn't have to ask to be getting to get involved with recruits lincoln riley doesn't have to be asked that question Nick Saban doesn't have to be asked that question. That's part of the plan. It's established. This is going to be who I'm going to be involved with, and I'm going to get after it. The fact that Brian Kelly has this, well, if you need me to close, let me know kind of thing, is exactly why Notre Dame continues to come up just short. And then people point to, well, they have top 10 class. Imagine what they could do if Brian Kelly put in the work of other head coaches. And here's the other part of it. When the head coach isn't involved in the day-to-day of recruiting, it's a lot harder to get everybody to, to put in the work the way they need to put in the work. Here's a fact. A lot of coaches don't like recruiting. 
They don't like the time away from their family. They don't necessarily like what it takes to recruit the type of players that you have to recruit at this level. And that's not at Notre Dame. That's everywhere. But it's part of the job. And there's coaches who are great at recruiting who don't like recruiting. Um, that's not true of everybody. Some coaches love to recruit. But there's a good number that don't. And if you don't have a head coach that's there every single day holding you accountable, then guess what? You're just naturally not going to be putting in the work that you need to put in. And you're going to settle. And you're going to say, well, you know, we're going to get this kid. And, well, we couldn't get that guy. He doesn't have this. He's this excuse, that excuse. And if the head coach is involved, then he's, you know, he's, he's going to say, oh, okay, well, it is what it is. I mean, you can watch Brian Kelly at every press conference when he's talking about recruits. He's always holding up a piece of paper and talking about kids and getting names wrong. A guy that's engaged every single day in the recruiting process is not making those mistakes. And the fact that that's who Brian Kelly is is a problem. The fact that Notre Dame's been able to recruit the way they have in recent seasons in spite of Brian Kelly to, is, is all the examples you need, all the evidence you need that this stuff about they can't recruit top players is nonsense. You know, Mike Elson made a comment that they can't get half the players in the top 100. And let's just accept that as true. I can't say it's true or not because I don't see the transcripts of all these kids. And I don't think Mike Elson's a liar. I think Mike Elson's a pretty honest dude. My, my dealings with him is that he is a pretty honest guy. So, But here's the thing. Notre Dame doesn't need to recruit 75 guys in the top 100. They need to recruit seven or eight. Right now they're getting four or five. They need to recruit seven or eight a year. They're one or two guys a year away from being that level. They don't need seven different players a year to get to that level. They need one here, one there. You know, look, from 2011 to 2015, Notre Dame had a better recruiting class than Clemson in the rankings in all but one year. The difference between Clemson in 2015 and 16 compared to Notre Dame was at one position, quarterback. Simple as that. Now, there were some coaching differences, but it was quarterback. Notre Dame in 2015 – had more NFL players drafted than Clemson's 2015 team. Notre Dame had more first, second, and third round combined draft picks than Clemson did in 2015. What was the difference between those two teams? Besides coaching, it's quarterback. Notre Dame had a good quarterback. Clemson had an elite quarterback, right? So I've asked this before. In 2017, what if you took – and I love Brandon Wimbush. Great kid. This isn't a shot at Brandon Wimbush. What if you took – Lamar Jackson off that 2017 Louisville team and put him on the 2017 Notre Dame team. Does anybody think Notre Dame loses to anyone with that offensive line, that running game, that the defense they had that year? No, they don't. That's a team that can win a title. In 2018, if you flipped quarterbacks, traded Ian Book for Trevor Lawrence, does anyone think that Clemson still beats Notre Dame? No. So my point is, when you're only a player two away, you don't need to recruit 70 more guys in the top 100. You need to recruit one or two. The fact of the matter is you're not going to often sign elite players if the head coach isn't involved, unless it's a kid that's already predestined to Notre Dame. And that's where Notre Dame has benefited. They didn't need to have the head coach recruit Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton wanted Notre Dame. There's guys that, that have, have come to – I've had I, true story. I've had a recent recruit, a recent signee at Notre Dame, who's a top under recruit. I had a parent tell me that they came to Notre Dame in spite of Brian Kelly. Not that they didn't like Brian Kelly, but it was they knew he wasn't involved in recruiting and they knew he wasn't going to be involved with their kid that much when he got to Notre Dame. It was the position coach and it was Notre Dame. Notre Dame, the institution, gets players. It's not a hindrance to recruiting. It's an aid to recruiting. They don't need to loosen the academic standards. They need to just make sure that the head coach is putting in the work and that he's holding everyone on the staff accountable. Imagine if every coach on staff put in the work and did the job that Mike Mickens and Mike Elson 
and now Marcus Freeman are doing. Imagine that. You know, and, and and that's why the offense was able to do some of the things they did in the last pre pre previous years with Chip Long because he was that kind of grinder. He liked to recruit and he pushed. They were about to lose Chris Tyree to Oklahoma, and Chip Long stepped in and did the things he needed to do to get him over to hump. Ryan Kelly wasn't involved in that. Imagine if he was, though. That's the problem. And so, if they were going to change, I don't think they would have had the press conference they had. I I think that. That's where my disappointment with Brian Kelly has been. He's done so many great things at Notre Dame. His unwillingness to make those last couple of changes, his stubbornness to make those last couple of changes that could get Notre Dame over the hump are are frustrating. Now, the good news is if he does, in fact, make those changes and he says, look, I got two to three years left. This is our chance. We've got a window. Let's take advantage and he makes the changes on offense, and he steps up in recruiting, and he doesn't have to. And then they say, well, you, you, Brian Kelly can't call every kid. He doesn't need to. Uh, look, there's clearly – he didn't need to call Tyson Ford, right? Tyson Ford admitted to Pete Sampson that he talked to Lincoln Riley 6 to 12 times, never talked to Brian Kelly. Still pick Notre Dame. But he, not every kid like Tyson Ford. Imagine if Brian Kelly said, look, here's 15 kids in this class that we have to get. We have to get three of them. These are the 15 best of the best – elite players in the class, whether they be quarterbacks, defensive ends, whatever. And I'm going to put in the work to get to get as, as many of these kids as we can, right? Game changer type of recruits. And then Brian Kelly focus on those guys. You know, I mean, may, you only need to get one or two of those guys, really. And, th- and that's the whole point. So he needs to get to that level. If he does, then I think Notre, Ch- Notre Dame has a chance to, to really take that next step. Jam Joe asked a question that kind of follows along with that. What's your feeling on Kelly backing off the recruiting at a top five level comment he made just over 12 months ago? I believe if Kelly put in the effort of head, the head coaches that land top five classes, Notre Dame would be there. I fl- completely agree. Um, I also don't think it's necessarily about top five every year. Here's the thing that you have to understand. Notre Dame is, has developed a level of consistency from recruiting that they're going to be anywhere from kind of like the eight to 12, eight to 13 region. The thing is, the teams ahead of them aren't the same every year. Like the top four or five are, but after that, it's like, you know, Texas has a year in the top 10, the next year they're 18th. Auburn has a, a you know, top 10 class, the next year they're 20th. Some other Pac-12 team, UCLA jumps in and has that weird year where they're better than they think. There's not teams that consistently out-recruit Notre Dame, and that's why Notre Dame is on the verge. You know, if they're recruiting five to eight every year instead of eight to 13, that's getting them that one or two players that they need to go win a championship. Being a top five recruiting class every year doesn't mean you're going to win championships. Charlie Weiss was doing that. Florida State does that. Tennessee's done that. Uh, UCLA's had more, I think, top five recruiting classes in the last 10 years than Notre Dame has. Uh, And they've been average. So it's to me, it's about getting the best players that you can get at the right positions and maximizing your recruiting efforts. And that's the thing is I don't think Notre Dame's ever going to be like the number one overall recruiting class. They were third in 2013. Charlie Weiss had a couple top five classes. So I think they can have those years when maybe they're second or third, but I don't really care about being number one. I care about making sure that you're every year meeting your numbers needs, bringing in the best players in the country and then getting them at the right positions. If you can do that, that's to me what Notre Dame needs to do. And, and the fact that they're already backing off of it is another example of I don't think they're going to change. I think that they are 
he made that comment, and now, God forbid, people are actually holding him to what he said. They're actually expecting the head coach at Notre Dame to do what is needed to be a top five recruiting class. Imagine that. You know, they're actually expecting Notre Dame to win championships. Imagine that. And so they're going to tamp that down, and and you know, because they know that they can't get there if he's not going to do the work. And there's nobody on that staff, nobody on that staff that is going to go into Brian Kelly's office and say, Coach, this ain't good enough, man. We need you to do more. If we want to take that next step, we need you to do more. I don't think there's anyone that staff is going to tell him that because I don't think they think it would matter. And if anything, it's just going to get you in trouble. Jam Joe also asks, I don't agree. I don't agree with the idea that the talent at receiver is what's holding Notre Dame's offense back. But using that premise, doesn't the combined group Notre Dame has landed in the 2020-21 recruiting classes close the gap and void that argument? The talent is now on the roster. Uh, it's been recruited by the current coaching staff. It, for lack of better terms, it seems like it's put up or shut up time for the coaching staff to produce an elite offense. My man, that was not a question. That was a statement, and it is a statement that I agree with. If you can't put a dynamic offense on the field with the running backs, receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks, and offensive lines you recruited the last two years, then the problem's not the players. The problem was never the players. It's definitely not the problem moving forward. So, yes, I agree with you. David Tracy asked last two, Coach D, since you started covering Notre Dame football, which coaches have been the best recruiters in the program and why? And how does Notre Dame work to promote best recruiting practices throughout the staff, i.e. are the best recruiters able to teach their colleagues or is recruiting so coach-specific that there really aren't practices to share? Uh, offensively, to me, there's three guys that stood out above all the others. Uh, and that's Tony Alford, uh, Mike uh, Dembrock, and Harry Hestam. Uh, Alford and Dembrock were, were similar in their success in that they're very engaging personalities. They're genuinely just good dudes. Um, they're honest with kids. I think kids respect that. Um, Tony Alford, for example, and Mike Dembrock both, I know for sure have had have have guys have gone to the NFL and maintained their relationship with those coaches despite the fact those kids went to other colleges. That's the impact that they made on those young men as connecting with them as people. And that, like they cared about them beyond just recruiting. And kids recognize that. They see through that. But they're also grinders. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, I could I could tell you some stories about Mike Denbrock not backing down from programs and going after kids. And that's why he was very successful as a recruiter at Notre Dame. Uh, Tony Alford, the same way. I, I laughed during the, you know, before Lance Taylor was hired, there was a three, four year stretch where running back recruiting was very subpar. And you'd hear that, well, you know, top recruits don't want to come to Notre Dame. Well, why did they want to come to Notre Dame when Tony Alford was the coach here? You know, I mean, he 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 got plenty of top backs. You know, 2015, Josh Adams and Dexter Williams. If Notre Dame signed Adams and Dexter Williams every year or Greg Bryant, Torian Folson every year, they'd be fine. Uh, or Seal Seal Wood and Theo Riddick every year. Those are classes that Tony Alford landed. So it's it's not a player problem. It is was a coaching problem. And, and hopefully they're rectifying that now. But he was excellent. And then Harry Heastan was a phenomenal recruiter. And he was not a guy that was a grinder. He identified the guys he wanted. And his recruiting pitch was, come here. You're going to be coached at a great level, and I'm going to get you to the NFL. And that was his pitch, and it's what he did. Uh, and, you know, I remember talking to a, a recruit at Notre Dame who told me that, you know, it was, it was funny. He's like, you know, Coach Heastan never promised him playing time. He just said, look, I'm going to coach you hard. I'm going to I'm gonna teach you this. I'm going to do this. And and he, he had you know, coaches at Ohio State promise him he'd start as a freshman at guard. And he was like, I don't think I should be starting as a freshman. He goes, Coach Heastan had convinced him that, you know, he needed this work, and the guy – came to Notre Dame and, and and had a phenomenal career. 
So, um, you know, I think he was very effective. Defensively, it's the three Mikes and Chuck Martin. Mike Elko was only here for a short time, but he was an outstanding recruiter in that period of time. Uh, Mike Elson has turned into a really excellent recruiter. He does it differently. You know, they're not bringing in a lot of highly ranked defensive linemen, partly because I don't think he's had help in recent seasons. Um, it's hard to recruit defensive linemen to Notre Dame when you're really the only coach talking to them. You know, the D coordinator is not doing a whole lot and the head coach isn't doing anything. You're not going to get guys. Um, I think that we're going to see the defensive line recruiting take off even more now that he's going to have Marcus Freeman helping him out. But I think Mike Elson has done a great job to get the talent he's been able to get in recent seasons. And when he has had like a Brian Polian helping him with Isaiah Foskey or Jordan Batelho, he's been able to get those top guys because he is being aided. So I think we're going to see that continue. And, and we've already seen it already with him getting Tyson Ford in, in the 2022 class. So um, I think Mike Elson's done a really good job. Uh, I think you look at, at Mike Mickens in his first year has just done an excellent job. He's kind of got an asterisk. You know, I want to see him do it a little bit longer, but his first year getting the four kids he got without being able to go on the road recruiting without having kids come to campus for visits was phenomenal and it was needed. And then Chuck Martin was a, was a really good recruiter. And he, he was a, just a really fun, personable guy, very honest, very blunt, but, but not in a disrespectful manner, but a work, hard worker. I think those are guys that were the best recruiters. Kerry Cook's, Started off a little down, finished strong. I thought he was a very good recruiter by the end of his tenure. Um, but I think those, to me, were the, the best recruiters that Notre Dame had. And last question from Uncle Lou. What's your early realistic 20, 2022 dream class? It's way too early for that, Simply, be, especially in this pandemic year, because there's so many kids that didn't play as juniors. There's a lot of kids that are going to kind of come out of the woodwork here over the next few years. I'm going to give you some names, however, of guys that are early on sort of my must-gets for Notre Dame. Uh, offensive line, Zach Rice and Jake Taylor. Must-gets for Notre Dame. Receiver, I love C.J. Williams. There's another kid from California, McMillan, that I think is is you got to get one of those two guys, but I think C.J. Williams is a guy you got to go all in for. Uh, he's a receiver from California. Running back, you need to get one of Nicholas Singleton or Dallas Hayden, and you got to get one of those two guys. Defensive end, if you could get a combination of Cyrus Moss and Aiden Gabara from uh, – Cyrus Moss from Nevada, Aiden Gabara from Virginia – you can get those two guys. Boy, that's a with Tyson Ford, that's a heck of a defensive end class. Uh linebacker, you know, junior Tui Alamaka. Tui Alamaka is a guy that I would love to see Notre Dame get. He's a must get. And then after that, you need to get a Sebastian Cheeks or Jalen Seats. One of those kind of guys uh would be in my dream class. At cornerback, there's two guys I absolutely love at corner that I would love to see Notre Dame get. And that is Toriano Pride from Missouri and Jaden Gold from New Jersey. Um, those are probably my top two corners on the board right now. And if Notre Dame could get those guys, I'd feel great about it. So that's a, that's a good foundation. There's going to be some more guys coming along. Uh, some more guys I'm going to add. I'm going to start doing more player profiles at irishbreakdown.com. I'm start doing more film rooms uh, on the YouTube channel and on the, the website. So make sure you start looking for those. I'm going to have a, a 2022 needs article coming out soon uh, for what they need to do in this class, what their numbers needs are, where they need impact talent. And then I'm going to kind of come up with a must-get, about five or six guys on both sides of the ball that are just must-gets if Notre Dame's going to have the kind of class they need to take that next step. So make sure you are paying attention to that, and um, we'll, we'll have we'll have that for you and, and a lot more. So do me a favor. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Check out our website. And if you're watching this on YouTube, then do me a favor and subscribe, like it, share it, and leave comments. If you have questions, agree
but if you're going to disagree, be willing to engage. That's what it's about. It's about debating, discussing, um, questioning me, but then also allow me to come back with an argument, and then we can go back and forth, and that's what makes this fun, talking sports, arguing sports, debating sports. So uh, let's do it. We're going to try to be very involved and engaged on our YouTube channel, just as we are uh, on uh, our, our website. We are in the process of getting our message boards back. They're not back yet. We're told they're going to be back soon. Once we get those, they're going to be doing the same thing at IrishBreakdown.com. So I hope you've enjoyed this. Vince will be back with me on our next podcast. Hopefully he'll be feeling better enough to, for us to do one this weekend. If not, he and I will be back together on Monday uh, to do a show. Because every time he's not on, somebody says, is Vince okay? Are you guys still good? Because uh, people love Vince. And I love Vince on the show. So we he is good. Uh, we are good. He is just under the weather. And uh, hopefully the weekend will allow him to get better. He'll be able to relax, watch the Super Bowl, and we'll be back at it on Monday. So for the rest of the Crude Irish Breakdown, I'm Brian Driscoll. Thank you so much for being with us, and we will talk to you again soon. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.